Hey guys, what's up? This is Sean from Nurse Dose, and this is the episode that I've been promising for a while, um, at least part of it. Uh, so in this episode, we're going to be talking about vasopressors and ionopressors. Now, if you follow me on Instagram at uh, Nurse Dose Official, I posted a question on there asking if dobutamine is a presser. And in fact, it is not. It is actually an inodilator, which is kind of the complete opposite of a vasopressor. Uh, the reason why I asked that question is because I, I know a lot of people that kind of mix it up, both nurses and doctors mix it up, and they'll count it as a presser when they're going through and seeing how many pressors a patient is on. So I just wanted to give that little introduction to vasopressors versus inodilators versus inopressors. But in this episode, we're going to be talking about vasopressors and inopressors. All right, guys, before we get started, I just wanted to ask a favor of y'all. If you're enjoying this podcast and uh, want to hear more of it, um, I would really appreciate it if you gave me a rating on iTunes. I'm not asking for five stars or anything, but if you think it's worth five stars, that'd be great. Uh, just having a rating in general makes the podcast more discoverable, and it would really help uh, bring some of those other nurses that are looking for information to the podcast. But anyways, like I said, this podcast is going to be all about vasopressors and inopressors. And so what are vasopressors and what are inopressors? So I know a lot of y'all have probably heard of vasopressors. It's kind of the staple medication class in um, the ICU. And what it entails are medications that work on the vasculature, uh, you know, systemic vasculature of the human body. Um, and, and they're also used in other things like veterinary medicine and all that stuff. Um, but for our purposes, it works on the systemic vasculature of the human body. And what it does is it causes a, a constriction um, or a pressing of the um, vasculature, vasopressor, which will then cause an increase in SVR or afterload, which if y'all have listened to my SVR um, episodes, you know that uh, increase in SVR and afterload usually can... Um, accompany an increase in blood pressure. Um, so that's what we're looking at with the vasopressors is primarily to increase blood pressure. So now what is an inopressor? So I know, you know, is the contractility of the heart. Inotrope is something that affects the contractility of the heart. Um, presser, like we just learned with vasopressors, um, can also cause um, constriction of the vasculature. So an inopressor has kind of two functions. It will not only cause the vasculature to constrict, but it will also increase contractility of the heart. So with these medications, you're kind of coming at the issue from two different angles, both from the heart's perspective and then from the vasculature perspective. So kind of like a double whammy to increase that blood pressure. But before we get into the specific medications that um, each of these classes hold, we need to get into what uh, receptors these medications work on. Because all medications work on receptors, and that's how medications work, right? So they bind to receptors, and it causes something to happen. 
So the receptors for um, vasopressors, usually uh, there's well, vasopressors and ionopressors. There's three types. Two of the types have two subtypes, uh, if that makes sense. Just listen and, and you'll get it. Um, so the first receptor is your alpha receptors, and these are located in the vascular walls. Um, and when these are activated, when you get an agonist that um, activates these uh, receptors, it causes significant vasoconstriction, which, like we said, can increase blood pressure. Your second type is going to be your your beta receptors. So there's two different types of beta receptors. There's a beta one receptor and those are mostly in the heart. So you can think you have one heart. So beta recept receptor works on the one heart. Um, and then beta two are most common in the lungs, but can also cause vasodilation in other organ systems. So, um, and remember what I said, vasodilation, uh, with beta two. So it's kind of the opposite of um, what our alpha will do. So just keep that in mind. Um, but like I said, beta one, one heart. So you have your, your beta receptors in the heart. Um, beta two, you have two lungs. So most common in the lungs, right? So that's how, that's how I was taught to learn that. And uh, to be honest, I don't really think about beta two that much. Uh, there's not a whole lot that entails for me but um, if you're an RT, this is something that you probably know pretty well. And the third type of receptor is a very specific receptor to a very specific drug. Um, this is going to be your V1 and V2 receptors, and these are going to be solely for vasopressin. Um, so V1 is associated with smooth muscle contraction of the vasculature, while V2 is actually responsible for antidiuretic properties. And we'll get into it here in a little bit, but vasopressin is basically just antidiuretic hormone. So it makes sense that uh, the receptor it's going to act on is going to be responsible for antidiuretic properties, right? So speaking of vasopressin, we're actually going to first talk about the only two pure vasopressors uh, that we use at this time. Uh, so these are medications that will only cause vasoconstriction and not directly affect cardiac output. So there's no effect on the heart whatsoever with these uh, medications, which is actually really good for, um, you know, cardiovascular nursing because sometimes you have really sick hearts. And if you have a heart that is having a STEMI or something like that, you don't want to give them a medication that's going to force the heart to contract harder or faster. Um, and these can kind of subvert that although you are going to still increase your svr which is going to give it something hard to push against um, it's still better than forcing the heart to kind of pump harder use more oxygen which it doesn't have at that time and so the first pure vasopressor that we have is namely called vasopressin uh, like we kind of touched on in the receptor bit um, so like I said, vasopressin is a drug that acts on V1 and V2. It literally is um, antidiuretic hormone. And um, when using it, so just so you know, all these um, drug concentration and uh, drug rates, it's all subjective. Um, there's no like, there's no set rule that it has to be in this concentration and this is the range that you can run it at. It's different at every hospital. 
So what I'm giving you is kind of like what I've seen. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's the rule and it doesn't mean that's what you should go by. These are literally just to give you an idea of how these drugs are titrated and, and mixed. Um, so vasopressin is usually mixed in a one-to-one -one ratio, meaning that you, it, it comes in units, kind of like insulin. Um, so when I would mix it, it, I would usually do 40 units in 40 ml. So you would take a 50 ml bag of normal saline, take out 10 milliliters and then put in 40 units of, uh, vasopressin. And that would give you a one-to-one. -one. Uh, sometimes it'll come in a hundred milliliter bag. And the thing is with vasopressin, um, you, the range usually is 0 0.01 to 0 0.04 units per minute. So if you kind of think that out in your head, it, it goes at a very slow rate. Um, usually around two milliliters an hour. So having a bag that's a hundred milliliters is going to last you a long time. Probably it'll probably outlive the expiration of the actual medication. So that's something to keep in mind because you don't want to waste it. Um, so like I said, axon V1 and V2, uh, V1 causes the smooth muscle contraction, which increases blood pressure while the V2 is responsible for antidiuretic properties. Um, and this is really good, not only for increasing your blood pressure, but also for diabetes insipidus, uh, which you can see with, uh, some neuro patients where they just start peeing out all their volume and you can actually give them, start them on a really low dose of vasopressin 0.01. And you can actually see the drop in, um, urine. It's actually pretty cool. Um, but in terms of blood pressure, we use it for uh, distributive shock like sepsis, um, and it, that's one of the frontline drugs that we'll use for sepsis. However, that's not saying that we just use vasopressin, um, for blood pressure in sepsis scenarios. Uh, we also use them a lot with cardiovascular nursing because of the reasons that I stated earlier. Um, and it's usually, it, it's usually the second line drug. I'll talk about how we choose vasopressors here in a little bit, but, um, uh, vasopressin is usually one of the second ones that you'll put on. It's like the second most important one that people will use. Um, but like I said, it's different with every person, um, in every different scenario, but that's pretty much it on vasopressin. It's a pretty simple medication. Like I said, it only increases your blood pressure and it is also good for diabetes insipidus. Um, it's a pretty simple drug all in all and pretty easy to titrate. But the next and last pure vasopressor that we use is phenylephrine, otherwise known as neosinephrine. Um, so this, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with this medication. I barely use it. Um, I think they use it more in um, medical ICUs. Um, it's just, it's such a weird medication in the way that they mix it. And I, I'm pretty sure it's universal how they mix it. And I'm sure there's a reason for it, but it's usually heavily diluted and the bag can run out super quick. Um, all the times that I've dealt with it, the bag is run out. You know, when you, usually when I'm using vaso or when I'm using phenylephrine, it's, um, kind of like as a last resort kind of thing. And you'll see pretty high doses of it. Um, and the bag can usually run out in like an hour. Um, but the typical rates that you would, um, titrate it is between 40 and a hundred micrograms per minute. Um, so it runs pretty fast when you get up to, and it, like I said, 
these aren't maxes. I've seen plenty of times where we go over 180, like easily into like 200, 240. Um, so it, it runs pretty fast. Um, and so this one solely acts on your alpha receptors. There's no beta. Uh, it obviously doesn't, um, act on V1 or V2. So it's only on alpha, um, and used primarily for distributive shock like sepsis. Um, it's also something that anesthesiologists like to have handy before an intubation. Um, usually they'll have it in a syringe and they'll um, have a specific amount uh, that they know how many micrograms are in each milliliter. And it kind of helps to just kind of like bump up the blood pressure while you're inducing this patient for intubation. Um, and then something else that is kind of controversial, but it is possible to use this peripherally, but like with all pressors, we prefer a central line. And I'll get to why that's so important when we start talking about the inopressors like um, Levafed. But for the most part, that's pretty much it for phenylephrine. It's, um, like I said, solely acts on alpha. Um, it's great just to get your blood pressure up while you're trying to figure out the cause of why your blood pressure is tanking. Um, but it's not really good to do in the long run unless you can get a bag that isn't heavily diluted. Um, and that's something that pharmacy is usually going to have to mess with. Um, like I said, I don't use it very much. It's kind of like a last resort kind of thing in my world. Um, but it, it does work. So, uh, do not dismiss it. Um, but yeah, so that's it for our pure vasopressors. So now we're going to go on to our inopressors. And like I said, these are the medications that will not only work on your vasculature uh, to increase your blood pressure, but it will also work on the heart in a way that will either increase heart rate, increase contractility, or even both. So uh, the first one we're going to talk about is actually going to be one that um, will be your best friend um, if you're ever working in the ICU and probably the most used medication in um, ICUs, and that's going to be levofed or norepinephrine. And it's funny because uh, norepinephrine used to be a really um, bad drug in the eyes of doctors, um, you know, a couple of decades ago, and they would actually have the saying, uh, levofed, leave them dead. Um, basically meaning if you had a patient that was on levofed, that, you know, chances are they're not going to make it. And it's so funny how things kind of changed now and you can walk through an ICU and more than half of the patients are probably going to be on Levafed at some point. Um, so that's, that's actually pretty interesting. But, um, so with this one, it's, it, it's kind of changed in the way that it's titrated. So Levafed is a, um, it works on alpha and beta, more alpha, obviously, uh, just a little bit of beta. Um, as opposed to epinephrine, which we will get to here in a little bit. Um, so primarily it's going to affect the vasculature, but it does do a little bit of beta. So you got to be careful with that as well. Um, usually when I start it, you can actually see the heart rate start increasing and it can induce some dysrhythmias in patients that are prone to it. Uh, so that's something you got to look out for. And if you know, there are dysrhythmias, you got to kind of try to work to titrate that down, um, it's kind of a, a rock and a hard place situation. It's, uh, you gotta get the blood, blood pressure up, but you also have to decrease the, um, possibility for, uh, dysrhythmias. 
Um, but anyways, uh, so the way that this is titrated, it's, it's changed even since I've been a nurse, whenever I started, we went micrograms per minute, like no weight based at all. Um, it was just, you know, 35 was kind of like the top of the chain right there, 35 mics per minute. But now we go based off of, um, weight based. And so it's usually mics per kilogram per minute. Um, and this kind of allows us to go really high on our doses, depending on how big the patient is. Um, so you usually start at 0.01 mics per kilogram per minute. Um, and I've seen different maxes at different hospitals. Um, it seems like one mic per kg per minute is, is a pretty good, um, place to kind of like say, Hey, you know, this is, <laughs> this is a really high dose because if you have a patient that's a hundred kilograms, that's a hundred kilo, a hundred micrograms per minute that you're giving this patient, um, as opposed to the 35 that we used to do with the non weight based training or weight based titration. Um, so that's something to think about. And like I said, it does work on alpha and beta. Um, so, but just a smidge of beta, not too much. Um, but you can look like the smart person and you know, if the, uh, the heart rate's increasing as you're titrating up, you can tell the doctor, Hey, you know, it's probably because it's got some beta in it. Uh, that's acting on the heart and you know, you, then you can usually switch over, um, to vasopressin or phenylephrine, you know, if that's something that needs to be done, but yeah, that's pretty much it for Levafed. Um, you, I guarantee you will see this if you work in the ICU and it doesn't matter which ICU you work in, you will see it. Um, like I said, it's pretty much a staple of any ICU, even, you know, neuro ICU, all that jazz. Um, but yeah, so now we're going to get to its big brother, which is epinephrine, otherwise known as adrenaline. And I think a lot of people know about this one and, um, it's, it's not used as much in other ICUs. Um, this one sometimes tends to be one of the last resorts for other ICUs. Um, but with cardiovascular nursing, it, and especially with cardiothoracic, it sometimes is the first, um, the first line drug that we'll use, especially if a heart is kind of stunned after surgery, um, and your cardiac output's kind of low. So this one kind of has the same titration as Levafed and you can start at 0.01 mics per kg. Um, it is the same weight based dosing usually. Um, but like I said, this one has more beta than alpha. And, uh, so you can really see if you, if you have any hemodynamic monitoring on these patients, you can really see the increase in the cardiac output as well as the increase in, um, in your heart rate. And something that's really stuck with me is I had a chief resident who, while my patient was about to code, I was talking to him on the phone and we had already given this patient, um, you know, fluids like albumin, uh, and crystalloid. And I remember as I'm stressed and I'm still like pretty new, um, I'm stressed and I'm calling him. He's like, so Sean, what is the, what is the, um, formula for cardiac output? And so cardiac output is heart rate times uh, stroke volume. Right. So he's like, okay, so we've already increased the stroke volume, right. With the, uh, Medicaid or with the fluids that we've given. So how can you increase the heart rate? And this patient was on a epi drip. So I was, I sheepishly said, um, I guess we can go up on the epi and he's like, yes, do that now. And then hung up on me. <laughs> so, um, that's kind of an example of how you can see epi being used. Um, 
if you just keep that formula of cardiac output in your mind, increasing the heart rate, if you've already, you know, tried to increase your stroke volume, um, it can really help your cardiac output because a lot of these hearts that come out of uh, surgery are kind of stunned. And a lot of times either the um, SA or AV node are inflamed and it can cause um, decreased conduction. So this little, this push of epi can kind of help um, increase that heart rate um, and stimulate it a little bit more. If not, then you need a pacemaker, but that's a whole nother issue. Um, so yeah. And then the thing with um, these inopressors is you really want a central line mainly for uh, levofed though uh, because if it does if you get it in a vein and you don't see it uh, infiltrating it can cause necrosis um, especially if you accidentally get um, an arterial stick whenever you're uh, putting in an IV and it goes into there it can actually cause a uh, a limb to die and, and require, um, amputation. So that's why I really hate doing levofed through a peripheral, but sometimes you're forced to, but you just got to be really careful and you have to use your assessment skills to see if, you know, the, your pulses are still good. And if the surrounding area of the IV is not becoming discolored in any way, but yeah, back to epi that's, um, that's pretty much it. It's, it's basically just a um, flipped version of levofed in which there's more beta than alpha in which, um, levofed is more alpha than beta. Um, so you can kind of flip flop those. And then that's another reason they're actually really good to use together is you'll have one that's working mainly on alpha and the other one's working mainly on beta and you can titrate based on your numbers. So if your cardiac output is low, you can increase your epinephrine you know, if your blood pressure SVR is low, you can increase your uh, norepinephrine, if that makes sense. But anyways, we'll now get to our last uh, medication for this podcast episode. And it's going to be one that I am not a huge fan of. And I don't think a lot of people are huge fans of anymore, uh, just because of how complicated it is and how weird it is. Um, but that is going to be dopamine. Um, and dopamine is a weird drug just because it acts on different receptors, depending on the dose that you are giving to the patient. Um, so the dose usually ranges between one mic per kg per minute all the way up to 20. Um, so there's three different ranges and uh, these three different ranges do three different things. So the first range is between one and four mics per kg per minute. Um, you actually target a different receptor that we haven't talked about and something that I didn't really bring up because I don't think it's that important and something that you won't need to really know. Um, but it's going to be your DOPA receptor. Um, and actually targeting this receptor can cause hypotension, um, but at the same time, it can increase cardiac output. So this was a weird dose in that it used to be used as what they called like a renal dose or a kidney dose, um, and it was something that doctors used to and might still do. I, I haven't witnessed it Um they would do that to kind of kickstart the kidneys with the increased cardiac output. Um, but like I said, you have to be careful with it because it does cause hypotension. And this also brings up a point that you have to be careful when you're titrating off dopamine, because if you're coming from one of these other classifications, these other titration categories, and you're coming down into this category, it might kick your patient into um, hypotension or decrease their blood pressure. So that's something you got to keep in mind. 
but we'll uh, go into our next category, which is going to be between four mics per kg per minute to 10. Um, and so this is mainly a beta stimulating um, dose. And so like we've talked about with beta is um, it'll act on the heart. So you get increased um, inotropy and chronotropy. So you're going to increase your contractility and your heart rate. Um, and that's why a lot of people use this medication whenever they see the heart rate's kind of low is they'll use this to um, increase the heart rate, um, you know, artificially. And that is something that you can do, but you can also see that a little bit with Levofed. So if it's an issue with blood pressure and heart rate, I would still probably use Levofed before I even thought about dopamine. Not that it's my decision, but it might be something that I recommend, um, mainly because of what I just said about titrating it off. Cause you're going to like kick the patient into the other, you know, the other side of the blood pressure curve and make their blood pressure tank when you get into that one to four mics per kg range when you're trying to titrate it off. And a lot of people don't like just turning it off when it's at five or four. Uh, a lot of people get uncomfortable with that. So that's four to 10, mainly beta simulating with a little bit of alpha. So it will increase your vasculature um, constriction as well, uh, but just a little bit. Uh, but then when you get to 10 to 20, that's mainly alpha with a little bit of beta. And so like you can imagine, this will increase your blood pressure more than it will act on your heart, which is good for some instances. But I mean, it's the top um, titration level of this medication. So it's not really practical to use this medication just for increasing um, blood pressure through vasoconstriction. So this is not something you would use for sepsis, which is uh, distributive shock, which you need just that constriction. Um, it would not make sense to use this medication for that. This is usually what this medication is usually used for is if you have a low heart rate with a low blood pressure, it kind of hits both of those at the same time. But at the same time with how the titration is so wonky, um, it's something that docs don't really use a whole lot now. Um, I haven't seen it a whole lot recently, so I don't know if that's maybe just my area or if it's kind of like a nationwide thing, but just be familiar, um, that uh, this is kind of how it goes with this. It's not as predictable as the other medications. And so now that we've gone through all these medications, both the pure vasopressors and the ionopressors, how do they, how do we usually use them? And so, like I was just saying with the pure vasopressors, those are mainly used for um, distributive shock in which you have a vasoplegia or some kind of distributive shock where you need that vasoconstriction. Um, and that's what those are really good for. Cause that's just mainly alpha or mainly the V1, uh, slash V2 with the vasopressin. And so that's going to primarily increase your blood pressure without any effect on your heart. Um, but like I was saying uh, with a typical picture that you have, there's like a, um, hierarchy of medications that you would use for sepsis. And usually, what people would start off with is, um, and, and this is just in my experience, this isn't like a protocol or anything, but what I've seen is that they would start off with Levofed, you get up to a certain titration on the Levofed, and then you start Vaso. Um, then you get up to a certain titration on Vaso, and then you'd usually go to, um, and, and it, this one, it kind of depends. It would either be phenylephrine or um, Epi, and then you'd switch between the two if you started the other one. Um 
So that's kind of how that would work. But when you get into like cardiothoracic nursing and just cardiac nursing in general, um, all those kind of hierarchy things go out the window because you could totally just start with epi and be fine with it. And maybe that's what your patient needs. It's just a little bit of epi to help kickstart their heart. Um, and you know, with cardiovascular nursing, we don't really use uh, phenylephrine a whole lot. I mean, at least the one I was at, I, it could be totally different in other places, but you just got to know that, um, it's going to increase your SVR and it's going to increase the workload of the heart via, you know, increased afterload. Um, so that's why a lot of docs don't really like to use it. Plus of, you know, the titration of it and the concentration of it and how you go through it so fast and you give them so much fluid. That's something that you really don't like with these uh, cardiac patients. Um, so that's kind of how you typically use it for that. Um, but yeah, that's um, pretty much it on the vasopressors and inopressors. Uh, next episode is going to be on inodilators, uh, which does include the dobutamine, which I was talking about. Um, and this is going to kind of segue us into start talking about some of the devices like balloon pumps and um, impellas, um, because it, these medications kind of work in the way that uh, these uh, devices kind of work. Um, sometimes dobutamine and milrinone, which is also an inodilator, um, are called the chemical balloon pump, which is, uh, basically it's their idea of saying like, Hey, it's basically, it's basically doing the same thing as a balloon pump, but as a medication. So we don't have to put anything in this patient's groin. So that's great. Um, but yeah, that's what we'll talk about. And, um, if y'all have any questions, please feel free to email me. You can email me through my site or you can follow me on Instagram and send me a DM there. Um, I'm totally receptive to all those things. It's not like I have a ton of followers right now <laughs> sending me DMs. So um, I will read your DM if you send me one. Um, other than that, like I said before, if y'all could give me a rating on iTunes or follow me on Spotify, uh, that would be amazing. Um, really helps other people discover this podcast. Um, and once again, I'd just like to say hi to everybody who's uh, listening from out of state and out of the country. That's really awesome. Um, I think, um, y'all are all amazing and I hope everything's going great where you're living and, uh, hope y'all are staying safe. Um, so yeah, I'll talk to y'all later. Bye.